I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What's going on, people? We are Tottenham TV back here for yet another panel show. We've got two returning guests to the panel today. Mr. James Black, the voice of Spurs. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? You right? Yeah, not bad. You know, just trying to figure out why Spurs keep dropping leads and what's going on at the moment. But all, apart from that, happy days. Cool, man. Yeah, I'm good. A little bit cold, but I'm all right. Good to see you back here, though. And Ashmatic, how you doing, my brother? Yeah, man. It is a bit nippy, to be fair, you know. It's not much yet. We've got about four more weeks, I reckon. Four to five more weeks, and then we can kind of... Take the off yeah, yeah, we can look forward to the spring, but yeah, otherwise, I'm good, guys. How are you guys? Yeah, not bad, man. Not bad. We got a lot uh, to talk about today, so we'll get straight into it. And um, we're gonna start off talking about why Spurs are not holding on to these leads. Obviously, we saw what happened at Everton 2 1 up until the last minute, and then that free kick comes in needless free kick to give away from Dejan Kulisevsky. Um, but it does carry on a bit of a theme this season where we are struggling to hold on to leads at times. We'll start off with you, James. Why, why do you think that is? I think recently, not to give them excuses, but I think obviously with these injuries, you're kind of starting the bench players that you'd bring on when you want to hold on to the leads. So you're starting like your Hoybergs and players like that that you'd probably bring on to hold on to leads. Maybe it's a bit of that. I think there's the, the lack of... That's a lot of energy to play Ange Ball. And I think towards the end, they might be tired from that. That twinned with not having the... Well, we have got it now, obviously, with Sonny back as well, but not having the depth that we had. I think it's, a, it's elements of a bit of both and um, needs massive work on. So hopefully we see more of that once... Um, as we've seen so many times, we don't want to lead. I'm sure Ange is savvy to it and looking at ways to stop it. But I think it's a mixture of all that. Not having the strength and depth of bringing on your players to, to hold on to the lead and the energy from playing Ange ball. Mm. Ash, do you think it is a major problem that uh, what's going on at the moment? Because obviously it happened at Everton, but before that, it hasn't been happening too often. There was one at Aston Villa. I think we went 1-0 up that game. And then Wolves just before that, when we conceded two in the last minute. Well, we've, but... we've dropped 18 points this season from leading positions. Mm. Is it is it a problem, Ash? 
I think it's down to the characteristics of the individuals we have on the pitch and their skill sets. So what I mean by that, <sighs> Hoiberg, for me, when he's on the pitch, and sometimes a little bit of Bentecourt, we can rush the play. So I remember at the start of the season, we were doing patterns of play where we kind of slowed it down a little bit. And it wasn't so rush, rush, rush. And I do understand why Ange is trying to get those balls over the top into like your Werner's. Werner's always free. Kind of get into that front free and trying to attack them. But I think sometimes we lose possession because we lose control of the game, in my opinion. And I think sometimes, and I know fans hate this as well, by the way. So let me just get out there. People hate the sideways passing. People hate the backwards passing. But at times, I feel like it's a small tactic, which is a necessary evil when you're trying to control a situation, when you're trying to hold on to a lead or you're trying to push the players up the pitch. So there's times when I think you do little one-twos, little triangles, just to draw the teams out, if that makes sense. Or if we're playing out from the back, and it's risky because like, you wouldn't normally play out from the back and take risks, but we're doing it, and that's where we're losing the ball. You want to take the risks higher up the pitch. Um, sometimes we're not doing that even. And teams are just sitting back, getting congested and saying Spurs want to do, you know, a thousand passes before, you know, we penetrate that box. But for me, it's about that game intelligence, knowing when to do it and knowing when not to do it. And I think sometimes we're too hurried. We're too, like, eager beaver to get that ball in, if that makes sense. Like, get that ball over the top, get it into Johnson, get it into um, Richie's feet, blah, blah, blah. And then we end up losing possession and control of the game. And then the other team set, they've got their game plan. They want to go direct, but they're used to going direct. And I think we're mismatching styles. And that's the reason why, and we're mismatching teams as well. And that's the reason why we're not quite controlling games or we're losing at the last minute. We've got players that maybe at the start of the season, they were doing the one, two passes and keeping it tight. And then now we've got other players that might, might do the long ball over the top in and behind, a bit like Liverpool, like how they go direct. So it's like Ange Ball, I think the chemistry between like a Basuma, a Saar and a Madison is slightly different to maybe like a Madison, a Bentoncourt and a Hoiberg, if that makes sense. So it, it just depends on who's on the pitch. Like I even saw Madison say at a post-match um, after, I think it was, oh, I forgot who it was. I think it was Brentford. It was his mm. first game back. And he was like, sometimes I'm in a space and I see someone else in my space. So that tells me that natural flow, that natural chemistry isn't quite there. Things that happen instinctively aren't quite there. And I feel like the same with Bentoncourt. When he's on the pitch, sometimes he's rushing it. Where normally Bentoncourt is smooth, you know what I'm saying? He's taking his time. He's getting a touch on the ball first and then he's making that pass. But now it's like he's trying to hit that ball in quick and then we're losing that vital uh, possession in midfield, teams are hitting us and then we're panicking. Even when we lost that ball, everyone's blaming Kuluzeski, but Richarlison rushed out with it, didn't he? He rushed out with it, lost possession, then Kulu tried to win the possession back, then the free kick happened, then we got punished and it was a lack of concentration at the back when we changed. Remember, um, my man, Dragonson, he he come in, he's brand new. So he's all learning the premiership. He doesn't know where to be positioned. Like, he, he knows where to be positioning, but he's getting, he's understanding his two teammates, like, and Van der Ven, I know he's played in the back three. I know Romero's played in the back three. But with these players, have we played with the back three? It's all kind of new. And these little nuances happen in games. And every game's slightly different. And I think that's why it's hard to underpin why Spurs aren't quite clicking or why it's not quite working at the moment, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah. Do you, Sim, do you think it's a case of 
probably just because of how stop-start this season has been and it's been like not a settled 11 throughout the majority of the season. The majority of these games where we've dropped points did come in that period where, you know, we're playing Emerson Royale and Ben Davis at the back and we just didn't have a fluid 11. I think that's definitely a part of it. I think how we basically, I think how and sees the game, right? I think if you watch Man City against Brentford on um, Monday night. You saw once they went 3-1 up, they just controlled the game through possession. They just passed it around. As Ash is saying, making little one-twos, making space for each other. Brentford didn't even know where to press because there were so many places they had to basically... Um, press Man City the Man City were just find, were able to pass around them find the possession they were able to control the game that way just pure, through pure technique and managing the game I think that's what Ange is trying to do I think that's, that's what Ange wants to do but the problem is as as James was saying, which is absolutely right, the, these we have a lot of our first team and technical players out at the moment. So we're ending the game with a three at the back. We're ending the game with Skip and Saar as our midfield two, and our, and and the front three, are, even on our best day at the moment, aren't very good at keeping the ball. So it, it's leading to. Ange wanting to basically, Ange doesn't want to basically be a time waster, manage the game that way, which maybe the players on the pitch, that's what he should be doing. But that's not his philosophy. His philosophy is he's, he wants to try and see out the game like Man City see out the game with that pure technique, uh, pass the opposition to death. But we didn't have the players on the pitch to do that. So we're trying to pass around Everton. We're trying to keep the ball and we're trying to basically pass them, uh, see out the game that way. Yeah, we're doing it with Skip and with Saar and with, and with uh, you know, Johnson or, or Brian Hill and Richarlison, who just aren't very good at passing, moving, keeping the ball, knowing, having that game intelligence on the pitch to kind of see out the game that way. And it's leading to when we're under pressure and, and when teams are basically upping their game in the latter, latter stages of the game because they know they've got to make a, lot, a, a last um, ditch push to try and um, you know get a point, we're unable to hang on to the ball and we're putting ourselves under pressure because actually what we're really doing is playing a risky game because Man City, the way they play, where they pass the ball to death. It's a risky game, but they're so good at it that they're able to pull it off in a, in, when, and make it look easy. But actually, it's not very easy because it, it, it relies on you being extremely... Uh, have extreme quality technically and it relies on you being um, being very good with your close control, being very good weight of pass, all these different things. And the players that we're using to see out these games don't have those kind of qualities and that is a big big problem when you're trying to especially when you have only a one goal lead but look if if we'd killed off the game and had scored that third goal in that second half i don't think we'd be having this conversation but the fact of the matter is we didn't we didn't get that third goal the last 10 minutes we're only we're only two one up and we put ourselves under pressure with the way we play Ange doesn't want to just go long take it to the corner flag he wants us to keep going try and get that third goal and try and kill off the game and try and see out the game with our quality but at the moment with the with the squad that we have with the injuries that we have we're just not able to do that if we had Basuma available if we had Madison and, and Bentacor fully fit if we had maybe Kulusevski um, in good form maybe it's a different situation but right now that's not the case so we're ending the game with these players who don't have the technical ability that we that is required to see out the games in the way that we're trying to see out the games and that's what i'm trying to um, that's why i'm that's my point and then obviously we're giving away set pieces as well in stupid positions maybe because we're a young um sometimes naive team at the last stage of the games we're giving encouragement to the team and when you do that 
that uh, that gives them that like a kind of encouragement to push you even further win those set pieces and we're not the best at defending set pieces and also obviously why we ended up succumbing um at the end of the day so it is a problem that Ange has to sort out, but I do believe it will be rectified once the technical level of the squad is heightened at even more where the bench players, even players like Lacelso, can come off the bench and up that technical level as well. I think that will happen once the squad is more fully fit. Hopefully that that, that uh, problem will be rectified. Mm. You, know, you cast your mind back to the first 10 games of the season, right? We were seeing out games. We were looking good in the latter stages of games when we had our first choice 11. Bissouma at the base. Saar and Madison were controlling things in the midfield. I think it's all down to the injuries and, and the way the squad has gone throughout the season and just the amount of injuries that we have had and suspensions and now the Asia and the AFCON as well. Um, and I do feel like once we get that settled team back, we'll start to look a lot more confident and assured in games. Do you, um, do you think, though, as well, though, just sorry to cut you, that at the start of the season, we played the majority of the teams in the kind of lower half of the table. Now we're playing teams in the more top half of the table. I know we beat Liverpool with the late winner and the deflection. We drew of Arsenal know. as well. We knew we drew with Arsenal and Man I'm not taking that away from it. Um but outside of that, when we've played the, the mm. team in the, in, the, in the second half of the table, we've either drawn with those take those teams or we've kind of like lost like Wolves, Brighton, you know, some of those teams there. I, like Obviously, like I said, Newcastle, Man United, we got results. But maybe like those teams where we have to kind of have a different approach we haven't quite figured it out yet do you think that's I, got something to play with it? i don't oh, i don't i don't even think so ash though because you look at it right the chelsea game that's when it all started to go wrong with the crazy injuries that we got in that game we were battering chelsea that game before all that started to go wrong we would have won that game in my opinion you go and then from then on we just didn't have a settled team throughout the whole season i think if we put that settled team at molyneux i think we go and win that game Aston Villa, even without a settled team, I think Bentancourt looked flying in those first 20 minutes and I thought we looked really good. Um, so I genuinely believe that if we would have had this settled team throughout the whole season, we'd be talking about a different Spurs. And up until a couple of weeks ago, we were talking like if that Chelsea game didn't happen, we'd be sitting top of the league. Yeah, and I think if you, you can't play Angel without without having someone like Mickey van der Ven at the back either. Mm. The way they were playing, having that exposure behind is... It's crazy difference to Emerson Royale and, and Davis done well there to fill in, but they're not natural in that position. And that speed of him, I think he just come out as the fastest player in the league at the moment. That was what was keeping it together as well at the back for me. And losing mm. that, there's an image, isn't there, when Van der Ven's hobbling off and Madison's coming off. But all, all was missing was a knife in the back of Postacoglu in that very picture. <laughs> and you see where it starts to fall apart. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think that was a massive turning point. And I also think we have a bit of an issue in our front three when it was, I mentioned before, but we're ending the game, right, with Hill, Richarlison, and I think it was Kulisevsky in the front three against Everton. And Everton, right, at the end of the game, they're pushing up, they're, 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 they're putting more caution to the wind. And the benefit for a team like Spurs in that position is if they're going to put more caution to the wind, they're going to leave more space for you to exploit. But if you get the ball to them and they've got acres of space to run into those aren't the players to really exploit that and it led to them losing the ball consistently and the ball just kept coming back and we weren't able to sustain any sort of pressure on Everton in the latter stages which meant Everton were able to pile the pressure on us and we succumbed to that pressure and maybe now we've got um 
Son coming back. We've got uh, we've uh, Solomon hopefully in a month, but forget Solomon. We've now got um, attackers who hopefully can come off the bench and provide a threat rather than the attackers that we had who would just weren't able in that position to kind of uh, exploit the space that the opposition were going to leave when, once they're chasing the game. Yeah. And that can be an issue. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, but Ash, you want to you wanna just finish off on what you were saying before? Or you want to respond to that comment? No, no, no. I've just I've literally thrown out because... <laughs> You know, we're, we're very close to our fully fit, t- our fully fit team. Yeah. And like, it would have been interesting to see what it would have looked like against some of those teams. And I do agree with you guys, the points that you've brought up and you've made. Um, I just worry that, you know, we get to the full strength team and then all of a sudden we're still not putting them away. And then we're like, then what is it now? What is it now? Because remember, Van der Ven and Romero came back. I expected us to start like climbing the table, but it hasn't happened. Then Madison came back because I thought, ah, oh, maybe it's Madison. That's <laughs> that's what it is, guys. It's Madison. <laughs> Madison came back in and like, oh man, we're still not quite ticking. So I need to come what? back, Ash. Don't worry, so I need to come back. I'm not trying to be that. I'm not trying to be that guy that obviously puts a downer on things. But I was like, oh, when he gets back, oh, when he gets back. I would oh, say though, you, you got we got a different Bentancourt in a minute and a different Madison. They haven't mm. quite hit form from before, so I think it's I not. Agree. Players coming back, it's the form of the players coming back, and maybe they need a few games to reintegrate. And um, we don't know what Angeball's like to play, especially coming back from an injury. It might be like this must be you know what? All I, all I was gonna say to that was like obviously Romero came back and like he did improve the team, I felt, when he did come back, and then Van der Ven came back as well. And I, I agree, but I think Van der Ven's just looked exceptional since he's come back. I forget yeah, one day when he was like me, and then the other games, he's just like on it, like best defender in the league. And yes. but we're still not. We still lost against Everton. So I'm like, Drew. You know, we drew, drew. Ash. We drew. Well, it felt like a loss. It felt it like a loss. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? It was two points dropped. Ash, and, Ash. Um, we cut the gap to the top to seven points. I don't know what you're chatting about. I'm <laughs> 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 moving mad still. I can't lie. But oh, yeah, yeah, the set pieces though was their only threat, wasn't it? Really, where Van it was. Was it was. It was. But I think that was their goal too. That's Sean Dash all over for you. We More of a lottery, isn't it? We get, but like, but we still didn't handle it. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So, yeah. it, like, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm optimistic that, like you guys said, it's a case of they're coming back from injuries. It's a form thing as well. Like, once their form kicks in, then we're going to be back to where we were. And we'll be out bossing teams. We'll start getting those results. And then if that is the case, then I'm expecting, boy, I don't know. What are you guys thinking? Well, look, uh, for me, Ash, I know I know we have we've had all these players back and it's been really positive. But if you look on Saturday, you look at the bench still, right? It's still mm. who we got to bring on. Brian Hill's coming on. Ollie Skip's coming on to see out these games. It's still a bit of an issue when it comes to... Um, getting that second win in the latter stages of games to kind of have the quality with the energy which we have and I think yeah. once we're able to like bring on let's say let's say we're starting with midfield of better of Basuma, Sarah, Madison again, all of a sudden you can bring on a Bentenko and a Hoiber off the bench rather than uh, starting them. Once we have Son, Rishi and, I don't know, Kulisevsky like we did before, then you can bring on a Werner, you can bring on um, a Johnson off the bench instead of them starting and not having any options. So all of a sudden, instead of um, bring on like a Brian Hill to try and see out a game, you'll bring on a different quality of player to see out the game and give you a second win. And I think that's going to be massively beneficial. And I think James is absolutely right as well. 
Just because they're back fit and available, does that mean they're necessarily match fit straight away and at the top of their game? I think give Madison a game or two, give Ben Tenkor a bit more time as well. Uh, um, and even the centre-backs, Romero and Van Der Ven, even though they've been back for a bit, they still need to get up to, to, to get back into their rhythm and all that kind of stuff because they've been out for a while. So... I think just because they're straight away back doesn't mean it's going to instantly click straight away. They still need time to build up their match fitness, get back into rhythm, and then we'll see. Um, they'll see them at their best. I really believe that. And I think people also need to remember that we're a work in progress. You know, this is the first six months of Ange Postacoglu. And I think actually, when you look at it, we're further along at this stage than probably a Man City was when Pep Guardiola first came or a Liverpool were when Jurgen Klopp first came. Most definitely an Arsenal were when Mikel Arteta first came. So I think there's a lot of reasons to to be looking forward to this second half of the season. Go on, Ash. Bringing on, bringing on a fresh Werner, like what you just said just then, Sim. That, that's that's mouthwatering, isn't it? Bringing on a mm. fresh Werner when, when their players are tiring. That is a great point. Yeah, I and think also bringing on Ivan Perisic in those first 10 games yeah. was so important for us. In how many games did he come on and just relieve that pressure, get good crosses in the box? Experience. We missed yeah. that massively. Okay. Sorry, Ash. Brilliant. Yeah, no, that's cool. The only worry is for me is I feel like some players, they need that regular playing time. They need that consistency. And I'm just hoping that Werner is that player we can just bring on and then he's booming as a super sub as opposed to like Werner just needs as many games as possible and he needs to keep that rhythm up for him to come good, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like, you know, like Richie. Richie's a prime example. Richie was stinking out the place. We gave him an arm around the shoulder. We, we we listened to his mental health issues. And then we started playing him. No matter what happened, we played him, we played him, we played him. Then he started repaying the faith. He started scoring the goals. And he's a player, like, I feel like if you dropped a Richie now and then you tried to bring him on a super sub, I'm not sure if that would work. Like, I feel like he's that type of player. He consistency, consistently needs to start playing many minutes, many games in a row to find his rhythm. And I'm just hoping that's the same with the... I'm, I'm hoping that's not the same, sorry, with like a Werner, like we could just bring him on and like Son comes off and he still has that same level, not maybe as a Son level, but he's got enough in him to kind of affect the game when they've got tired legs and we start winning. Because I do agree with you guys. I think that has been an issue and that has been the reason why our bench has been weak. Do you know what I'm saying? Our bench has been weak. But now when everyone's coming back, all of a sudden our bench is looking strong and we're looking like a, a stronger outfit. Yeah, and you can argue like, and maybe in the last few weeks, you know, that there have been definitely games where the game management has been poor. Like, you look at Brentford, could have easily dropped points in that game late in the game. You look at Man United and Burnley, they both missed big chances right at the right of the death to try and uh, uh, nearly uh, get a draw in those games. Obviously, the Everton game, we did end up giving up the result. But Maybe you could argue, yeah, Anne should, you know, in, the, in these periods, sharp shop and he should adjust because we don't have the players to see out the game in the way he wants to. But this is kind of how he's le he's learning about these players, about this team even now. And this is how you kind of judge whether these players can do what you need them to do. And this is and once you see them on the pitch, like not being able to hold on to the ball in the 90th minute under pressure and all that kind of stuff. This is how he learns. If he just changes tactics to um, adjust to the players that he has available, He's not going to learn about these players he has available, whether up to it or not. Or maybe in the future, you know, he can decide, OK, actually, this player I will keep because he can do what I'm asking him to. Or maybe this player isn't good enough because I've when, when these players were out and he stepped in, he wasn't able to do the things I was required while we were trying to see out this game, these games. So, yeah, you could argue maybe we would get different results if he changed kind of the way he's trying to see out games. But that's not what Andrew's trying to do. He's trying to learn about this squad for the future. And it's going to benefit us in the long term.
Mm. I think the same. And it, 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 it a direct quote where he said, "There's no plan B; is is to do plan A better." Is that a direct quote from him? Yeah, I think that? so. I think when he, from his Celtic days, or maybe even before that. Right, that's a little bit concerning, but I agree with Sim, and it's that I think it'd be down to the personnel, and it's and it's sort of showing if the player's right or not, and getting the right player profile in the future by keep playing the way that he wants to play. Because yeah, mm. I've heard I've heard people say like, I I don't believe in this, by the way, but I've heard people say that he should drop the line further back. Um, you know, he should stop. He should like be a bit pragmatic at times. You know, and that's just not Ange Ball. And like you said, Sim, if he hasn't got the the players for it then he's going to lose a couple of games. But maybe that's what he was talking about, that this is the bump in the road. These are the bumps in the road that he's actually talking about because guess what? These players, they need to understand the style of football. I don't want to revert and then it sends mixed messages and then players are like, hang on a second. I thought we were like attacking yeah. football or highlining. Do you know what I'm saying? You're right. And for him as a manager, it makes him seem softer if he's going back on his actual word as well. Like, do we believe what he says now? He's not... He's shutting up shot. So I, I agree. I think he needs to keep to his principles. And we might lose a few games, but, you know, we just need to pattern up. We need to improve in that summer window and buy those right technical players for him that he needs to play the football that he wants to mm. achieve the goals that we want as fans. Do you know and what I mean? It's not weed out which ones to replace as well, I think, won't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. And it gives him an excuse to go to the board, to go to the transfer committee yeah. in the summer and being like, look, these guys do not fit the system that I want to play. I need to bring in players that do fit the system and it'll give but them a bit more power as well. Sorry, yeah, sorry exactly. No, 100%. Yeah. You're right. Um, let's move on. Let's talk about Vicario now because it's been a clear, seemed to me like a clear plan, especially last stage of the Man City game, the Ake goal, especially the first half of that Everton game. Every corner seemed like it was a bloody penalty the way they were uh, smothering Vicario and literally just clearly targeting him. Do you think he's getting exposed at the moment, James? Um, it's a really tough one. That I, I think there's, I think there's a mixture. I think I agree with what Anne says about that. The referees are told to leave it all and let VAR pick it back up at the end and pick up the pieces. I think there's a bit of that. Um, I think obviously I would imagine the tactics were seeing what happened at Man City, so then they've targeted that exact area. So there's a mixture of that as well. Then I think. He should be protected a little bit better by his own players. Maybe Van der Ven's and your Romero's getting in there, seeing the problem, being alert to yeah. him, going, hang on a minute, this just keeps happening. How do we protect him? And being stronger himself. I actually think it's an amalgamation of, of, of all of it, to be honest with you. It's not just one thing. One thing I do believe, we was talking about this the other day, the, the good thing about it is I do think it's quite an easy fix, though. I think it's in, in terms of, OK, let's hit this in training until he's got this. Like, he's an incredible player. And I think yeah. that seeing this now highlighted, I'd imagine they're training on this right now, knowing that we're, that Brighton are going to do the same rough tactic. Um, they'll have ways to stop that. Uh, who is the set-piece coach for us? Is it, is it Mason? I know the attacking one is Mason. I'm not sure about defensive. I don't know. But the, yeah, I, I think it's an amalgamation of all, all those things. And But I, but the good news is, I, I believe, it's quite a, a quick fix uh, now it's been highlighted. But yeah, being protected by Van der Ven and Romero, they're, they're beasts. So that would be... And even Dragosin, he's an absolute beast, isn't he? Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think it's too too much moving around to get that to get that stopped. And I think we sh the only thing that bothers me is why didn't we look at that straight after Man City? I mean, you've, you've seen that. They've gone for that tactic. It's huge that we should be working on that. 
that's the problem for me rather than the problem being for the rest of the season. It will be fixed, but why wait? Why not get yeah. on that? Yeah. I guess one thing is that you're you're literally coming up against the best set piece team and the most physical side in the league in Everton, and it was always going to be difficult, um, you know, defending set pieces against them. But I just don't understand it. When did this rule change? When the ben- when the keepers don't get the benefits of the doubt from these situations? When was it okay to just keep backing into goalkeepers, keep backing into goalkeepers until they fall down? I just don't understand it. And I mean, neither. It seems to be the same. We were saying, we were watching down the pub, we were saying that the same. And why are we not taking advantage of that up the other end? Mm. So why are we not talking about that and going, hang on a minute, it's happening to us. Let's get on, in on that. Yeah. I mean, Pickford's got tiny little arms, can't even touch a crossbar, can he? So <laughs> like, why are we not getting involved in that? Um, little T Rex arms. <laughs> <laughs> Ash, what, what's your take? Do you think that Vicario's getting a bit exposed at the moment? Should he be more protected by the defence? It's a hard one because. I don't know too much about zonal marking in terms of how you set up in that structure and set pieces. And I know like what to do versus man marking. Man marking, you just, you'd push him off, wouldn't you? Get, I mean, stick a man on like a Harrison to avoid him from sticking his butt, twerking into, um, into <laughs> the Mario, like, you know what I'm saying? So, it's it's a hard one. Like I, I definitely think they're doing zonal marking at the moment, and I think that's why no one's picked him up. But then it's down to the communication of Vicario and the communication of Romero being the captain of the centre backs or that back line. So between the two of them, one of them needs to be a leader. One of them needs to step up because it's not like it happened once and then they scored. No. There were warnings. I was watching the game. I think raw. Yeah. One off the line as well, wasn't there? Yeah, I'm like, you got, you got to do something. Like, someone on the sidelines, I don't know, the coaching staff, have a word, someone, because they're doing it again, they're doing it again. And, and Dash, he looked like he was getting a hard on from it. Because like, yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But then, man, there they weren't really reacting to it. And so, it ha- like, the commentary, I was watching it, the commentary were like, yep, um, they're on Vicario, he's not doing nothing about it, blah, blah, blah. And, it, yeah, the inevitable happened. Do you know what I'm saying? And I was very disappointed that no one said, look, Harrison's clearly backing into Vicario. We need an extra man here. Even though we're zoning, we might need to tweak. Like, you pick this man up because, like, you know, it's 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 going to be detrimental and we're going to end up conceding. And it did happen. So I just want to see a little mixture of, yeah, do your zonal thing. And I understand why you do zonal because you're trying to leave less gaps, you know, man marking, you get pulled out of position and then all of a sudden it's a free header. Do you know what I'm saying? But there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to, to zonal versus man marking. People can get the run on you in zonal. But I feel like really we hadn't conceded a lot of goals from corners. That's the wickedest thing. So it's, it's a hard one. It's a hard one. But yeah, I do agree, man. I think something does need to change and they do need to work on that and they need to have a word. But it just needs... Vicario, I felt against the City one, he needed to be stronger. And then there were certain times I'm like, he's not being strong enough. He needs to just, even if he put, because they're not going to give a penalty. I don't think they'll give a penalty if he pushes through a player and he, he punches and gets to it first. Do you know what I'm saying? If they're not going to give a free kick, they're not going to give a penalty either. So mm. they just, just go all out and, and be that guy that we know you are, Venom. Like, be that guy in it and just grab that ball, win it back. Mm-hmm. Sim, what do you feel? Do you feel like Vicario needs to be a bit stronger? Do you feel like he needs to get protected more from his defence or is it just a mixture of both? 
Yeah, I think there are two ways of looking at it. I think one way is if you don't want to commit a player just to protect Vicario and get in between Vicario and 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 the player and stop uh, the player back into Vicario, then it's absolutely on Vicario to be stronger and make sure that he's not getting bullied. He's pushing off, uh, he's pushing the player off him, and he's allowed to maneuver inside the box, able to come and claim uh, crosses. Which, to be fair, it did feel like in the second half he he did seem to rectify that because he did come and claim a few uh, a few corners in that second half so maybe there was a change in tactic there which is is definitely beneficial definitely what is happening at the moment is um, the players are are seeing that at the moment that if they just um, stand their ground and slightly back in without making any movement too obvious that if the referees let it go VAR is not going to get involved and we are definitely um, coming we're not actually the only team that has um been on on the end of this. I think Allison's been on the end of of a few. Um, there was that uh, that Burnley keeper as well, James Trafford, who was on the end of one where maybe he could have given a foul, but the referee decided not to give it. So there's definitely a trend at the moment where referees are letting more go when it comes to challenges on the goalkeeper. Or would I say challenges? Players are being a lot cuter with their movement. They're making sure to not make any obvious movement to kind of um, make the referee aware they're making a foul. What they're just doing is standing in front of the keeper, just stand, being strong standing their ground and once the cross comes in just slightly backing in and that was all that's that's all that's needed when a goalkeeper is going to jump and claim and claim a cross all you need is a slight nudge and it can knock him off balance and it can make it very very difficult to come and claim the ball so there's there's either Vicario has to be way stronger has to make sure that before that cross comes in he's pushing the player away from him to give him that space to um, you know do what he needs to do whether it be a punch or, or claiming a cross or we do need to commit a player and we need we need one player to step up and get in between the opposition player and Vicario making sure that he's not touching Vicario and he's not getting close to him and he's not putting Vicario off and making sure he can't come and um, be strong from these corners so we have to make a choice what we need to do um, it's probably I, I I think it would be better if Vicario can deal with it himself, just so it means that player that's then <coughs> marking um, Vicario gets uh, the player that player could be freed up to mark someone else, and maybe uh, would that, that means there's not going to be another free man in the box if we are committing a player to Vicario. But if Vicario is not able to do it, which would be um, a shame, it would wouldn't be a good thing. Then it means someone we do need a player to come and commit himself to making sure Vicario is helped in that situation. I see Brentford um, from their set pieces; they do do that. They commit a player to making sure Flecken is um, not being bullied by an opposition player. No one's getting near him, and once you see it, once a player is getting near to Flecken, they barge him away. They they push him away and make sure that they're not allowing it. Basically, and maybe that's what we need to do um, when it comes to this Vicario situation. What we definitely know is this situation can't continue we know that we can't allow players to continue to back into Vicario and that status quo to kind of continue where he's being we're allowing him to be bullied and we're it's costing us goals and important goals as well and it means you know if a team get a corner in the 90th minute and we know and they know that this is something we're struggling with they're just going to try and exploit it and it's definitely something that's going to add to anxiety within our defence and with the fans as well. Once We're just going to be shitting ourselves whenever we can see the corner. So this definitely can't continue and it's definitely something that's being highlighted and being exposed at the moment. But hopefully this can be rectified now that it's clear as day it's a problem. This can't be 
hope this can't now not be dealt with surely because it's been an issue for the past few weeks now yeah as james said i'm sure they've been working on this in training ever since that everton yeah they should have been working on it from the man city game to be fair but that first half of everton i mean should have sent alarm bells ringing uh but look like you said it does seem like they did sort something out for the second half because they were nowhere near as dangerous from corners in the second half as they were for the first half and vicario was coming and claiming a lot um but let's go and on and talk about the Spurs midfield now because it seems as though Spurs are chopping and changing a lot the midfield game by game at the moment and maybe it is down to injuries Pape Sarri is coming back now Basuma is coming back now with Bentancur not really performing at the moment James what, what do you think Spurs's best midfield trio is um I think we have to realize that the question itself is good because uh, we've got strength and depth back now and we'll all probably have slightly different ones I'd imagine which is which is a great sign it's it's tough it's very tough because of who to leave out um I think the the one bit of good news off it really or the strongest bit of good news is you're going to see I would imagine better discipline from Basuma knowing that once if he gets sent off will he ever get back in a team yeah. knowing that strength and depth is now there um, so I think you'll see one good thing from the back of that. Um, it's Bentoncourt's not quite at form, or we go straight in for me. Um, Pape Sarr has been incredible since he's since he's played here. But Madison's dipping a bit. So, yeah, it's, it's all up in the air a little bit for me. But I would imagine the strongest for me are probably to, to start against Brighton on Saturday. I would probably go Bentoncourt, Sarr, Madison. That's what I'd, I'd probably go for. So six, eight, ten in in that in that way. Um, purely because I don't think Basuma's quite there yet. I think he was rested quite. I think he wasn't played. Sorry, quite a lot um, in the African Nations. If he come no. on and sub quite a lot throughout that. Um, for for me, Sar's been incredible, and and I think Madison is probably, hopefully now just at least one or two games maybe away from full fitness and full form. Benton Core, I think, but again, like it's the same to what Ash is saying. I think if you keep playing, he will get back into form. He, he, you don't just lose that complete magic that Benton Core's got. So, uh, yeah, I would go for Benton. I would go Benton Core, Saar, and Madison. And I imagine bringing Basuma off the bench. That, that's just that's incredible. And then it goes back to our first point about why we can't hold on to Leeds. And you suddenly got that option. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'd go for Benton Core, Benton Core, Saar, Madison with Basuma just on the edge to, to mm. come on. Ash, what are you looking at for this Sunday? And in general as well, what do you think our best midfield is? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, no, ditto. Uh, I'll echo every um, 
comment that James has just made. I think that in the six, I think Bentancourt, he's able to um, play out from the back. So he helps with our transitional play. Um, he's very confident and slick on the ball when he's fully fit and when he's up to speed as well. And I says, as I said before, like sometimes you just need to trust in your better players. Like give them time to find form, to find the rhythm, to build those relationships with maybe one or two players that they haven't had before and they will come good. Like him and Madison, I'm sure, will be able to figure it out. So for me, Bentoncourt gives you that steal. A lot of people think, I know Bentoncourt should be an eight. And they'll say that about Basuma. Oh, Basuma should be an eight. Um, but I just feel like in this system, we don't play like your traditional roles anymore, in my opinion. This is more positional play. And that's the reason why we were like, oh, the midfield looks so fluid. Like at times we didn't even know who was playing where. Like I remember against Aston Villa when it was Len Soso and Bentoncourt, it looked like a double pivot at times because they were interchanging so much. And even Madison likes to drop in from deep. Madison sometimes plays as that deep lining midfielder and he's creating from, from further back. Or I remember the game against Burnley, he was playing as a fullback at times, picking up the ball and then working the ball up. And I just like that freedom and players just looking at where the space is and then attacking it. And then if that player is in your position, then obviously I'll jump in your position. Like it's just, and that's what Andrew wants. He wants a system where he doesn't want to dictate. He's not like an Arteta and Conte where they're constantly fingers everywhere, do this, do that. He wants the guys to have the game intelligence, to have the football IQ, the spatial awareness, when to go, when to come short, when to go long. And I feel like that will come naturally and we'll start to hold on to games and control games a lot better when that happens. And as I said before, and as James has already said, when you've got a Hoiberg coming on, I feel like Hoiberg's looked a lot better when he's come on as opposed to when he's starting. So yeah. for me, it's a no-brainer. Put your Benton core, trust in him, because he is good at um, tackling. Make him the six. He's a South American. He's tenacious. And sometimes, you know what? Romero will push high up because we play sometimes like a 2-3-5 in possession and we're in the opposition's half that you allow Bentancourt to come, sorry, Romero to come into midfield and Bentancourt to go further up, even as a six. We saw it with Besuma against Manchester United. He put Casemiro on his back like a beetle. Beetle up like a bad bee. Do you know what I'm saying? When he did a little quest <laughs> inside the box, he's like, raw. how come Besuma so hard the pitch? So I, I can see Bentancourt doing that. I can see Bentancourt being higher up in that pitch. Remember, before Bentancourt came back, everyone was like, Bentacore's going to take Basuma's place. Watch, watch. Now Bentacore's back. People are like, nah, Basuma's going to take Bentacore's place. Watch. <laughs> so I just think players just need time. And as we all said, he's coming back from an injury. For me, he's the sixth. The number eight has to be Saar. Um, even when he came on, I felt like we improved as a unit. I felt like we held onto the ball a lot more. He knows when to give and when to hold on. He's really good in tight areas. He can play as that fullback and he helps us that transition and then he carries the ball up in midfield and then he keeps it simple. And when you keep it simple, you don't lose the ball. That's what happens. And then guess what? You get up the pitch higher up that way. You're not rushing it. You're not forcing it. And I think that's what all the scouts saw with Saar and they said, you've got a gem on your hands because he can see the picture really quickly. He can make his mind up when to go, when to play it. 
And he's just an all-around good midfielder. That's the, the DNA of what you want in your midfielder. He's going to get those goals because I'm starting to see him ghost into the box as well now. I'm seeing him to start to pick up those areas where he's having a go. He's having a shot. Do you know what I'm saying? He's got two goals already. I'm sure he's going to add to that as well. So his physicality, his tenacity, he sometimes, again, I spoke about that, that, that two defensive midfielders or double pivot, I call it, two sixes, whatever you want to call it. He does that. He kind of drop in allow one of the midfielders to go, or sometimes he acts as a secondary marshal in that in that um, defensive place. And we we need to win the ball high up the pitch. It's important that we win the ball high up the pitch. We do the turnover and we keep the pressure on. And he's really good at doing that. He's got the best of both, like the competitive nature and an attacking nature where he's good in possession. Then we go back to Madison. For me, people are like, oh, Madison's looked slightly off it. I think he's looked like our best midfielder, I'll be honest. I love the way... He drops the shoulder and he's patient. When the pass isn't on, Madison won't let it go, you know. Madison will not, if it's not on, he won't let it go. And he's looking to do the difficult pass. He's not looking to do the sideways pass or play it back. He's in the, between the, the, the midfield and the defence. He's in that little pocket and he's trying to find a way to sting it into like a Richarlison, sting it into a Kulu or a Johnson, whoever's there. Do you know what I'm saying? And he's that kind of man that kind of threads it all together. And I love his bravery. I like his tenacious uh, ability. And I love him that, you know, he's able to actually shoot. He's one of the midfielders that actually likes shooting. So I like that about him as well. It just wasn't quite coming off for him in the Everton game, especially in the second half. He had a couple of chances that um, Pickford saved. But I just feel, again, like, come Brighton or come Wolves, we're going to see a different Madison. Each game, he's grown in confidence. Each game, he's understanding the relationships of his teammates, where they're going to be. And he's getting that, you know, that natural instinct, like that, because you've been out for a while, you kind of forget what it's like, you know, how how the speed of the game is and all the rest of it. He came against Man City. Remember, Man City is a fast game. What a game to mm. come back at. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? He's come back then. Um, obviously, we played Brentford. He's gotten a little bit better. And then obviously, Everton's come along. And everyone's like, oh, he hasn't played as well. But it, it, it's, it's to do with who he's playing with and how much, um, you know, he can impact that game. He always wants the ball. That's what I do love about him. So for me, the best midfield is, for, for Brighton anyway, would be that Bentacore, Saar, and the Madders. Do you know what I'm saying? And I want to see Madders higher up the pitch this time because I do love the fact that he has got the free role. He's not like an Odegaard where he has to stay in one position. He roams off to the right. He can roam off to the left. He can drop deep. But I want to see him higher up the pitch because I just think he's more of a threat when he's up there making those final balls, doing those key passes or getting shots off at the edge of the box. Ash, do you feel like we need like a, a proper specialised six in the summer? I I disagree with this appointment. Um, the reason being is because, as I said before, it's positional play. It's no longer your traditional, a six stays in that position, the six stays there. I feel like, like before, that argument wasn't there because Ben, not Ben Tukor, Basuma was the highest um, midfielder with the most amount of tackles, most amount of interceptions, most amount of turnovers. Like, he was doing his job. As a defensive midfielder, everything, all the off-the-ball off actions, Basuma was number one at. So, I'm like, well, surely we don't need a number six if he's doing all the attributes that we need. But because we're not used to it, we're not used to a, we're used to that Conte Mourinho kind of style where we sit behind the ball and you're used to that six, or even like an attacking team, you're just used to that number six just sitting back 
and mopping. We don't really do that. We kind of interchange that kind of midfield. And that's the reason why we're using words like fluidity. And like, I know people want, no, I want that monster six that's going to crunch and be a destroyer. No, you need players that also have that technical ability. Because if it's just a six that destroys, what if you can't go forward? Then how are we going to dominate games? How are we going to kind of like turn teams over, if that makes sense? So in my opinion, I think the six position is not necessarily like we get another combative midfielder. I don't mind that. I'm not going to say no to it, but they have to be technical. Yeah, 100%. Is the problem because if Hoiberg comes on the pitch, I can't say like, oh, Hoiberg's the most gifted technical player. Does that make sense? That's where I think think that's what we're lacking. So, so if, if whatever player, I don't care who it is, just be defensive, like, have like be able to win the ball back, but also technicality is a must in that position anyway. Mm. I, I agree with what both of you say. I think the midfield against Brighton has to be that midfield. Ben Tancor in the six, Saar and Madison a bit further up. I don't think we have too many options with Basuma just coming back and he's suffering with malaria. We don't know what state he's coming back in. But having said that, I would like to see us go back to that that midfield that we had first 10 games of the season with Basuma in the six, Saar on the eight and Madison in 10. I just felt like it gave us so much balance in that midfield. I felt they all three of them just worked so well together and we were able to dominate games consistently time and time again. But then again, when we were in that moment of the team, we were like, oh, just imagine adding Bentan called to this midfield. Look how good we're going to be. Like, So I actually think like in terms of quality, quality alone, our best midfield is probably... Bissouma in the six, Bentancur in the eight, and Madison in the ten. But then again, it goes back to the point about Saar, because Saar adds so much balance to that midfield. He does the leg work, he does the running, he's got that energy um, for everyone. So I think, it, again, it goes back to what James was saying. It's such a great uh, problem to have in terms of the options that we do have in midfield. Um, but what are you looking at? Yeah, I think, first of all, it depends on the opposition a lot. If you're playing, I think if we're talking about just purely best midfield free in my opinion um just in based on quality i do think i would love to see what basuma bentacle madison could do together i do think medicine uh, bentacle could do that number eight role once he's fully fit we've seen him um last season and and yeah last season mainly he can be a midfielder who can cover a lot of ground he can um he's a very hard worker he's got a lot of energy and i do think he's got more strings to his bow when it comes to his on the ball ability than someone like papa mate Saar. maybe Saar can develop it i'm not saying he's bad on the ball but i just think benton court is very best and we've definitely seen more from him than we have from someone like Saar. so i do think in general, that's like our best midfield three. I think our best midfield mill three for now, given people's fitness and stuff, would probably be Ben Tenkel in the six with Sara in the eight and, and Madison in the number 10. But I also think um, what Ange would really like in terms of technical ability and ability to dominate a game and ability in the final third to just create as many chances as possible and be a real attacking threat would maybe be... Pesuma or Bentacle in the six with Madison next to Kulisevsky in the centre, or even maybe next to Lacelso, if he can get them working hard. Yeah, you can argue um, maybe it could ruin the balance of midfield, but if we could get one of those two, more specifically Kulisevsky, because I do think he's I think that'd be great uh, against a low hard. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you get against a low block, 
if you had uh, a Benten or a Basuma next to the, next with a uh, Kulisevsky and Madison, it's going to be very very difficult to stop uh, for the opposition because we're just going to have so many good attacking technical players on the pitch that if you can get them working hard and doing the work off the ball to make sure we're not exposed on the counter or going the other way, then going forward when we're um, putting our passing moves together and we're and we're attacking the opposition. It's like they're not going to know where to look when it comes to trying to stop us. Right now, it's like if you can crowd Madison out, it's going to be very difficult for us to create an opportunity because it's difficult to look where where else that creativity has come from. Even with Basuma, Sara, Madison, um, it's good. Don't get me wrong. and it, it was amazing first 10 games. But if you focus on stopping Madison, all of a sudden you're looking around. It's like, where's the creativity coming from? But if you have a Bentancourt with a, Basuma, with a Madison and... Kulusevsky next to him, all of a sudden you can concentrate on stopping Madison, but that's going to leave more space for Kulusevsky to operate in, and that's going to add for more chances created. So I think if Ange, in his mind, had a perfect midfield in terms of if everyone was able to do the job off the ball, I think he would want that midfield, Bentoncourt, Madison and Kulusevsky. Now, the question is, could he get Kulusevsky to a level where he's doing the job effectively off the ball enough to not leave us exposed? That is the that's the question. I don't know the answer to that right now. The, the evidence that we've seen so far, when we, I guess we haven't seen it because we haven't seen Kulisevsky next to Madison apart from the second half against Brentford when it was good. But obviously, at latter stage of that game, we were open and we could have easily um, dropped points. So we don't know the answer to it right now. I think logic will probably state the balance might be way too far on the offensive side and we would be too exposed. But I would love to see, in general, that midfield and how it would operate. Because if it, if he gets the balance right, that midfield would be very difficult to stop. Mm, it would be. From, uh, I mean, you couldn't play that midfield surely against like a Man City or a Arsenal or someone like that. I mean, logically, no. Um, but it uh, probably not. But it depends. Uh, it depends how good they can be. Like, we've seen Man City like at their very best like um uh, in peak pep um in peak pep years they would play with two number eights two very attacking number eights and they'll play fernandinho and then they'll play kevin de bruyne and david silva it was just they were so good and also they kevin de bruyne didn't have that um lack of balance off the ball he would put the hard yards in and he had the fitness and the quality to cope with that position so it meant they weren't exposed defensively they have the best cdm in rodri in the league in that midfield to that's the thing so it's about the balance it's about whether basuma can cope with it whether bentacle could cope with it and whether kulisevsky would be able to do that off the ball but i don't think necessarily tactically like they wouldn't like it that tactic of two number eights to attack number eights wouldn't work it's about the characteristics and whether they have those characteristics that, i'm that, not 100 sure they do but that, they that might brings do. me back to the point i asked ash then like if we were to go that way and we had madison and kulisevsky in the midfield would we not need like a specialized six behind them to protect them um it's whether Basuma and Benzikor could do that job do we need a specialized six i think they can do the job to be honest I do think they can do the job. Um, obviously, they might have to cover a bit more ground, but I think they're capable of it once they're both fully fit and on form. I don't see a reason why they can't. Are they on Rodri's level? I mean, who is? But I, I think I don't see a reason why Basum and Bentoncourt wouldn't be able to do that number six job if Madison and Kulusevski are doing their jobs off the wall. They should be doing. Look, Silva and De Bruyne didn't just 
leave Fernandinho or Rodri to do it by themselves. They helped him out as well. And that's what you need to do. So it's about where Madison and Kulusevski have the characteristics as well to do that. I do think Ben Tukon-Basuma can do it. I do. I, I tend to agree because it's not like we haven't seen Miss Madison, you know, do defensive jobs off the ball. I know it might not to be like people. He's very underrated at that. That's what I'm saying to you. So Madison off the ball, he is quite defensive. He tries to win the ball back. He's tenacious. I think Kulazeski does a lot of leg work. And when he was playing on the right wing, especially, he helps uh, power out a huge amount. Do you know what I'm saying? He does a lot of defensive work. And even in the middle, I think, like, yeah, he is tenacious. He can win the ball back. And even Le Celso, as much as people, you know, throw him from under the bus, he's very tenacious. So I, I could actually see, like, I agree with Sim. If you've had, like, a Basuma or a Benton corner six at their best, at their peak, then you could have, you could afford maybe a Le Celso and a Madison interchanging in that position because they actually do the work they do press high, even when we lose the ball. They do drop back into that, you know, solid four-four-two block. You know, when we try to frustrate teams at times, I think it can work. But I, I, I do agree with you. Then it depends on the team. Like I wouldn't do that against a Man City go fire for fire because you might just get bun up. So yeah. I would prefer to do that against maybe a lower team in that lower half and see like if they are frustrating us. Well, not even if they're frustrating us. We just go guns blazing from the start because you just never know. We might just turn them over and then we might just keep them in that, pin them in that in, in their own half. And I feel like when we pin teams in their own half, we don't have players that take risks, if that makes sense, like to open teams up. So if you've got a creative eight on your left and you've got a creative eight on your right, they don't know what to do because one guy's going to want to dribble, one guy's going to pass, but then one might might you know, do the reverse and vice versa. And it, we can pull teams out of position. So I'm all for it. And I'm hoping Ange is for it as well. I would love to see that amount of attacking football. So I want to see us just destroy teams that go four five and change the game again, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's two attacking it. Because I think Pep only changed it because he realised that you need to be a little bit more physical for this Premier League. So that's the reason why he went for more, like, you're not really seeing, um, what's his name? Uh, Foden as an eight and you're seeing like a Grealish because I thought Grealish was going to be an eight and he put him as a winger and I was like wow I was surprised I thought they're going to have Grealish and Foden being the two eights and even Silva I've seen him drop back he's not always played him as a an attacking eight do you know what I'm saying so sometimes he plays him out wide it depends so I, I want us to get to that stage where some of our players can play on the wing some of them can play on the eight and some of them can drop back in a double pivot like I want us to be that fluent James, where, where do you sit on this one? Would you like to see um, that much of an attacking midfield with Kulisevsky and Madison playing alongside each other? Yeah, I'd love to see it, 100%. When, I think when he, I think it was Sheffield United when, it, when he dropped him first time into, into the middle, that that to break that block for one all. And he yeah. was just incredible, wasn't he? Very instrumental. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it. As, as a fan, I think that's what you want to see. Do you know, I mean, we can go through all these, and you, you're all of you are absolutely right. And I even think about possibly we maybe we should look at a, a hole in six, but as a fan, what you want to see, yeah, hundred percent. That's a, that's a dream at midfield, isn't it? With them players as well, and what they can unlock, I would love to see that on on a tip. But you can't play that against um, probably Woolwich or City, the two probably teams you probably couldn't play that against. But yeah, no, yeah, that'd be so exciting to see, man. I mean, like uh, for me, Madison's still still a little bit off off the boil, um, but. 
I do agree that a lot of his defence work gets um, unnoticed, and it is quite incredible what he does there. Um, but yeah, if you if you had that, yeah, uh, Kulu coming in, but then on the wings, I'm not sure if Johnson's quite there yet, really. So Kulu does, does come in. Who you got out there? I'd, I'd love to see us go and get Neto, someone like that, and uh, add him into into the mix. That'd be amazing. Can I can I add something? No, yeah. go on. It's going to be controversial, but I'm going to throw it out there. Um, Skip. You weren't saying that a month ago, Ash. I'll tell you that. You were not saying that a month ago. <laughs> so, yeah, do you reckon Son could be on the right wing or is that a no-no? Son on the right wing. I was saying this before to Sim. Like, I was saying, like, I want to see the front three of Werner, Son and Richarlison and probably Sonny um, on the right and Werner on the left. But Sim thinks the other way around. I think Werner on the right. The reason why is because I think when Sonny gets to, when Sonny's on the left and he gets to the byline, he's got such a great left foot, right, that um, that that it, it can work and he can whip a ball across the face of goal. I know Werner had a good assist with his left, but I don't think he's as good as left as Son. I think what what Ange likes is his wingers getting to the byline and getting those cutbacks. I think if we're going to do that, I'd much rather Son on the left than Werner on the right because when at least when Werner gets to the byline, he's on his strong foot rather than on his weaker foot. Whereas Son, even if he's on his weaker foot, it's still very, very good. So that's why I would prefer Son on the left and Werner on the right. But what would you guys yeah, reckon? Remember what you guys were saying before, though, about that fluidity. That interchangeable thing would be a dream. Yeah, I think you're both 100%. But going that and, and just moving across, and even if didn't he have ever Charleston on, on the wing at some point, didn't he? I think he did. I, I yeah, yeah, he did. he did. He did. He moved Sonny into the nine, and then Richarlison yeah. played on the left, didn't he? That would be the answer for me. And uh, I think Sonny's got the biggest uh, conversion rate in the league, I think, for chances. So taking him away from the centre for too long, I don't know why we would do that. For too, uh, but I would like to see the fluidity of, of all. I, I, I just to add on to that, James. I'll put Son in the middle against the high line team i think he looks better yeah the high line because he's got that pace in behind i see yeah. rich Allison, as good as he's been when he's trying to run for a ball that, that, <laughs> like, no, no, that's not your skill set hey, calm. i'll tell you what what it is with Richardson though the, the amount of times he wins that ball back is, is oh, yeah, i haven't seen that done for the last sort of two or three games he he really wants this now doesn't he and yeah, i think yeah, that, yeah. that appetite of winning the ball back is has been incredible yeah, no, yeah, a lot of people, though, throwing shade at Brennan Johnson. And, you know, he's not cut it. He hasn't been cutting it the last month or so, 100%. But just cast your mind back to Richarlison last year. Nobody think he could hit a barn door. Nah. You know, he was terrible was, for the whole season last year. So season. people should bide their time with Brennan. Definitely. What, what was Sonny's first season statistics? I don't think they would have been any good. Not great uh, either. That, that first season wasn't great, was it? But, yeah, I, I think the same. Um I didn't know. I didn't know a great deal about him, if I'm honest, until he came to us. Though I didn't watch him too many times at Forest. I knew he was fast. I knew he was good. The only thing I saw of him was when he when he booted Richarlison. That's the only time I kind of saw. Him. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I do think definitely give him time, based on the fact that um, he's had a few really good moments. Uh, he wants it. He loves. He loves the loves playing at this club. Um, but yeah, I think there's going to be competition now, isn't there? We're bringing Werner in, which is great. Does Healthy competition. Think, do you think do you think Johnson's better off the bench as opposed to starting? 
As of now, yes. As of now, yes, because he's not playing well enough. And I think when you saw him come off the bench, you know, he made that run later, the far post, got that goal. And I think yeah. with uh, coming on against tired legs, that pace is invaluable, isn't it? And um, he's got the attributes to be a proper super sub, in my opinion. With Ash, with Ash, Ash said about this, and he's right. I think with that, it's a certain player mentality, though, to be somebody who, who does sit on the bench, can be happy and then come and explode. And like, yeah, like, like people like Richardson, I don't think I've really got that. But I think... That is what you need more than anything, really. That suit, that suit, that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer super sub mentality kind of thing. Yeah, but again, I don't think he was come here to start week in, week out straight away, yeah. Brennan Johnson. I think he was a work in progress. And I think that Kulisevsky had the shirt on the right-hand side and injuries in the midfield and, and everywhere else kind of forced us our, forced our hand to play Brennan Johnson where he got shunted out to the left at times on the right. And I think that... You won't see the best of Brennan Johnson this season. And I think it's a work in progress and you'll see it in the coming seasons, in my opinion. I heard this as well. I don't know if it's true. I heard that I think the Brentford game, that it was the first time that we'd won a game without Son and Kane for years. Is that, is Five that years, I think it is. Yeah, that's insane. That price tag kind of like blindsided a lot of people of the opinion that you know, Johnson was going to be the main guy because 50, was it? How much was 50 it? 50 million, yeah. 47.5. Yeah. 47.5, sorry, Sim. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, get, get it right, right, Ash. Come on. Two and a half million. Hey, yeah, so 47. I think that price tag put maybe a little bit of pressure on him, changed the perception of the fans of what they thought he was brought in to be. And as you said, like, maybe he wasn't bought as a starter, maybe he was bought for maybe an intention for once for the future. They really like him. Obviously, you have to pay prem tax and you have to take pay the prem um, the, the British tax as well. But if you took both of those things away, what is his true value? And it's well, probably between twenty five and thirty million. I would say. Yeah, I would say right. closer to twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. So then, if you if we played twenty five million and he was like Bernardino, I don't know, or I don't know, like. <laughs> A foreign, a foreign name. I don't know. He, maybe then we wouldn't pay that money. The expectation would be so much, and we had a fully foot team. Then we would say, "Look, he's on the bench. We're not mad. You know, he's doing the job like what you guys are saying for us for now." And like, let's hope because he's twenty-two years old. Everyone's like, "Ah, oh, don't put his age into it. He's a big man." All right, bro, <laughs> stay calm, like Lawas. But yeah, maybe, maybe like you lot were saying. Give him a season to come and he he might improve. He might get better. A lot of people aren't rating his technique. They just look at his technique and think it's not that. I just think his decision-making on where to be on the pitch affects him at times. I looked at where he was playing um, against Everton. Him and Poro were super close. And I felt like at times, if Poro's playing short, I need Johnson to be wide and high. And vice versa. If Johnson's coming short, then I kind of need Poro to be high and wide. And, you know, like I was talking about that fluidity, they need to have that understanding. And also the movement off the ball, I feel like Johnson needs to do that out to in, if that makes sense. So he needs to fake it, go one way and then go the other way to kind of mm -hmm. lose his marker. And then you've got space and then players can see you and then we can hit that pass into, because how many times have we put it into Johnson's path? Not that many. So that tells me Maybe his movement isn't the greatest. Either that or the midfielders on the pitch, they just haven't got the IQ or they're not seeing it. But yeah. I remember when, no, I remember when, what's it, KDB came back and it was 
Newcastle at home versus City, and they interviewed him. They asked him, "Ah, oh, that pass was it? You that make the pass?" And then um, Oscar Bob makes the run, or is it Oscar Bob makes the run and then you make the pass? He said, "No, Oscar Bob. Oscar Bob's got to make the run. If Oscar Bob makes the run, then I, I make the pass. If he doesn't do that run, I'm not making that pass." So then I look at Brendan Johnson and I'm like, "Bro, you need to look maybe at your movement." sometimes running that kind of pocket the inside channel sometimes pull wide sometimes drop short and then look at the in-game how things are running in the team if you're not seeing a lot of the ball because sometimes you're like why is Brennan not in the game but that must mean that you're not in the right position for your teammates to see you or you're not doing the right movements to lose your marker in my opinion that must be that isn't it otherwise Mm. like why is he not getting the ball why is he not getting involved in the game so for me he needs to work on that he's still a young lad he needs coaching on that side and he needs to watch himself back and study the videos where he has done well. Because there's been times when he's on the wing, he puts it on the floor, and, and Rich Harlison just is there to tap it in. He's done it two identical times. I think, I can't remember the games, but it was two identical times, and he's put it across the box. Bournemouth and Everton. That's it. And he's just, so that's what he needs to look at that video again and just study those movements and think, yeah, you know what? Yeah, that's what I need to get back to. In my opinion. You know what? I think I think you're right with the elements of of the of making the runs from Brennan Johnson. But however, you do see Werner making those runs and him not being picked up consistently time and time again. Oh, there um, you go. You do. But- and just to add that as well. Sorry to cut you. I, I I like when players run across the fullback. Do you know what I'm mm. saying? When you run across Angel, the fullback, yeah. yeah. When you when you do that angle and you run it, that the only thing left to do is shoot. I haven't seen them take enough shots, in my opinion, to like test the keeper, get on the end of things. And sometimes if it's not his first touch that lets him down, it's his second touch. Do you know what I mean? He might have a great first touch and then second touch overhits it or it's vice versa the other way around. So he just needs to calm it down in his mind because for me, that just screams out nerves and confidence. Calm Mm. it down, slow it down in your mind. And that's how you become ruthless. And that's how you become a killer. I think he's rushing it too much in in my opinion. But also, a lot of the time, the elements with Brennan Johnson, he just needs more confidence in his own ability and his own strengths. Because you see him, especially in that Everton game, I was I was sitting right there on that side where Brennan was, where the away fans obviously were. And he got the ball so many times in good areas where he was isolated one-on-one with his fullback. And every single time he checked back, either lost the ball or passed it backwards. And he needs confidence to take that ball and attack his fullback go past him knock it past him and run around the outside he's got that ability so i don't know why he doesn't use it it, re- it really is frustrating at times and, and thing on that isn't that that's angie's philosophy as well he says to these players he says go for it if, if you don't if you lose the ball it's on me you go yeah. for it go for the attack that's, that's part of his philosophy isn't it so that's a little bit and it would obviously jump some of that into uh brennan johnson as well but I'm, yeah. i think you're right there's too much shade thrown at his thrown his way and definitely give him some time Absolutely. Uh, But let's finish off the panel talking about how bright the future is at Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, you saw Ashley Phillips last night for Plymouth. Yeah, they did end up losing 4-1 after extra time, but he did get an assist uh, to his name. You're seeing Alfie Devine do bits out in Plymouth as well. The young players we've got, I think average age of the squad is one of the youngest in the league at the moment. Um, All these players coming through the academy as well. So James, how, how bright is this future at Spurs? Uh, extremely, yeah. Especially those, those players you mentioned, and you've got like Dorrington and, and Mikey Moore's goal I saw the other day was just that was unbelievable. So yeah. having having these players coming through on their own, I think the future is very very bright. Um, and then if you add into the mix that 
Liverpool went for Van der Ven. Man United obviously went for Werner. I know he's not one of the youngsters, but he's still young, young enough. Then you've got, um, you got um, that Lucas Bergvall could have gone to Barcelona. But, and Bayern Munich wanted Jagashin. I, I definitely apply a value to this being, could be the brightest in my lifetime for the future. This is quite insane. If you've got like these young players, these players out in loan. And I saw the the three, there's that 16-year-old as well, that defender. Um, Vuskovic. Vuskovic. They're all like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, defenders already. I was about five foot two at their age. You know what I mean, it was like there's there's it's insane depth here, and obviously they they they're, they're smashing the leagues as well. I think it's what, under twenty ones are they top in the? Is it under twenty ones? Not only are they top, they've got a hundred percent record still in the league, which yeah, is mad. Well, I watch a lot. Of, I watch quite a lot, a lot of um, Mikey Moore's stuff, and I'm very very impressed with him. Um, mm. And I I really do apply a value to the fact that there's a big reason why these players are choosing their career moves at that age to come to play for Tottenham, the way that we're playing. Um, and also just, I'd imagine that, that they have a look at all the facilities around us and little things like this that mean a lot to a player, how they're looked after. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I would go as far as to say in my lifetime, this is this is the, this is the brightest I've seen our future with all them elements involved. And and the proof is in the pudding of players like Dragishin and, and um, Lucas Bergfall t- turning down massive, massive, massive opportunities. Like, imagine that from, from seeing some of the biggest clubs in the world to come to play for it. And if it happens again and again, there's no smoke without fire. There's a big, big, big reason. And uh, yeah, and I, th- and I apply a value. I really do. To, this is the brightest future that I've seen uh, in my lifetime at Spurs. It's mad, isn't it? Because like you go back 10, even 5, 10, 20, however long you want to go back for, you would never have said any young up-and-coming player with a big future ahead of him is going to reject the likes of Barcelona, reject the likes of Bayern Munich, even reject Man United to come to Tottenham Hotspur. And is that a sign, Ash, that the future is just incredibly bright here? Yeah, I think the perception of the club, maybe from these youngsters, has changed somewhat since, you know, Ange and Academy's been switched around and we've restructured the way the club is. Um, I think perception is everything, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, like we're not winning trophies and we're not, you know, winning leagues and stuff. But at the same time, they actually believe in the project, what we're building here. They think there's something special on here. And I think that's the reason why they're all, you know, buying, in, buying into it. A lot of these players now... I remember the, the the way structure was an issue at one point, and that's why a lot of the youngsters were leaving to go to other clubs because they were paying up. And credit to, to the club, they changed that, you know. And I think Paratici was a big reason for that. I think when Ange came in, I think he like helped with the whole the academy side of things, playing football the way we want to play, attacking, front-footed, and and players at all levels, all got behind it. And all of a sudden, they're excited. There's a buzz, there's an energy around the club, around the staff, you know, the dinner lady, the the people that are, the kit man, you know, everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet. And so, no puns there. But yeah, literally, like, I just thought, like the youngsters coming in now, they're like, yeah, you know what? It's all about Spurs. There's a lot of Spurs young fans out there as well. I'm noticing there's like, we've got a strong young fan base at the moment, loads of kids are choosing Spurs for whatever reason. So I, I honestly think that the, the future is bright for Spurs. And I, I go back to what James is saying, like Mikey Moore, 
he looks like a talent and a half. Mm. The first few clips I saw of him, he was like popping shots off outside the box. I was like, wow, how much ability, how much confidence has this kid got in himself? Now I'm seeing him do it week in, week out for the actual team. I'm like, listen, this guy's actually, he, he's not a flash in the pan. Like some players, I feel like they get overhyped, you know? Everyone's like, we've got our Tom Carroll. We've got our <laughs> Jake Livermore. We got a Jay Livermore. We've got, <laughs> you know what I mean, we've got Mason, like, Stephen Corker. <laughs> yeah, the list goes on. And we 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 hype up, we gas up all these these young kids, and they don't quite hit the heights. But I genuinely, genuinely believe that these guys, they've got something about them. They've got that raw technical ability that I've been battering about the whole show. <laughs> but. I can see the end product. They believe in themselves. They're brave, and the coaches are encouraging it. Yeah, I hate it when I be like, you see, like coaches, not there, not there, too much. Why are you doing that? No, no, pass it backward. I used to hate that. Mm. These coaches seem like they're new. They're kind of the philosophy is more like you know, turn out, play with the chest up, open up, play forward, expansive. That's the type of language they're using, and and they're. And, and, and players are seeing that and are thinking, you know what, hang on, I think there's something cooking. I'm going to come to join Spurs. And, and Bergvall, what a player he looks like in terms of like technical capability. But even that clip that's um, going viral at the moment, when he's talking to the kids, like he's talking mm. to his teammate, he's a captain, and yes. he's firing them up. I was like, I was gassed. I was like, yeah, mm. yeah, I'm going to play. He said, don't play <laughs> the name. I said, what? Is this a clip from 300? Oh, boss, I know that. It doesn't matter. I said, yeah, listen, if he's talking like that in the dressing room, listen, look, look, the future is very, it's not bright. We need to put shades on like Ray Charles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. Because, oh, also, what do you think on with the youngsters? Um, do you reckon there's some sort of cane effect where they've seen one of their one of our own obviously go through and become England captain? If, if you're a youngster at Spurs, you're thinking, I've got, I can do this. Hundred percent. He's the benchmark, isn't he? Yeah. They, they probably have pictures of up him around the whole of the academy, saying, if you put the work in as much as this yeah. guy, maybe you can reach those levels one day. Hundred percent. He's the benchmark. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine going to the stadium as a kid for the first time when Kane was playing and hearing, "He's one of us." Yeah, he's one of us. Like it's a mad mm. feeling. I'm like, so I, I reckon, yeah, James is spot on. I, I mm. agree. I they, he put the the foundations in for for, for kids coming in. Mm. And I think as well, the when we improved the training ground in in I think it was 2012, uh, it was always going to take a bit of a while to really for it to like really take effect when it comes to really good quality young players coming through the academy and taking advantage of those facilities. And I think hopefully we're now starting to see that because the academy just absolutely seems chock-a-block full of talent right now in terms of players who... Um, are making an impact, want to um, make an impact in the first team as well. Even when we mentioned players like Jamie Donnelly, Sunsop Bell, Santiago's having a great season Lancashire. at the moment. No, no, Lancashire, like all these players at the moment, maybe we're finally seeing um, the full vision of this training ground being able to develop really good young quality players, which I think if you ask Levy what his dream is, is if, if we're able to develop our own players, that's probably what his dream would be. Because imagine you wouldn't have to buy players, you actually develop it through your academy. And that's how, you know, you look at Barcelona when they had La Masia, well, they still obviously have La Masia, but like that's how they got the best team 
in like one of the best teams in history, like Messi, Iniesta, Xavi, all being developed, Puyol, uh, all being developed from their own academy and they're able to bring them all through. And that's like, I think when you talk about a vision of Daniel Levy from a business standpoint, investing in the academies, and so you can have good young players coming through those academies instead of actually having to spend 40, 50, 60 million on new signings. That would be um, his kind of wet dream, I think. That would probably be his ultimate vision of what he would love at this football club. So... I really, I'm loving the fact that we've got these unbelievable um, young talents come through the academy. And I'm loving the fact that when we're looking at the transfer market, we're being smart with future moves, like a doggy and Saar signing them, loading them back, and then having them um, come through the first team. Berg, Valner coming in. You've got Phillips, Devine all out on, and Josh Keeley out on loan at the moment, do, pl- playing very, very well. So I'm looking everywhere among the team. I'm looking at centre-backs. I'm looking at midfielders. I'm looking at forwards. And there just seems to be loads of talent coming through for the next generation. And maybe that would mean as well, if a player does want to leave in the future, we're not as worried about it as we would be like finding a replacement, all these things. If we do have players coming through, young players who are ready to step into those positions, because it feels like in years gone by, we've been super worried about players leaving and hanging on to players and things like that. And maybe that won't be the case going forward where we'd have to hang on to an unhappy player. So I'm super excited about the future of the team. It seems that there's a real strategy in place. There. It looks like we're really thinking about the future where it seems as though years gone by, that's something that's definitely been neglected. And it definitely feels like that's not being neglected at the moment. And also it's very important to have that pathway from the academy to the first team, which we haven't had yeah. for so many years, right? Non, like, just take, for example, Noni Madueke, who's, who's ended up going out to Holland and coming back to Chelsea. And I, look, I think he looks like a decent player, Noni Madueke, if he had some good management behind him, uh, to be fair. But <laughs> no shade at Poch. But I think um, he had to leave. He felt like he had to leave because there was no pathway from the academy to the first team at that moment in time. And now with Anchir, now with all these prospects coming through, you feel like that pathway is there now, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Over, over like Mourinho and Conte, we didn't really give the youngsters much much go at all. You, you can visualise it, can't you? The pathway's right in front of you. I, t- I totally agree with that. Mm. All right. Well, we, at least we can all agree the future is bright. The future is lily white. Ash, get those shades at the ready. Uh, but that is it from us today. I want to thank both of you guys for coming on today. Thank you all out in the live chat as well. But James, tell the people where they can find you. So uh, on social media, it's at The Voice of Spurs, and that's across uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, all of them. And I'm also, I play at the stadium on home games. So for the next game, uh, Bright and I will be at White Hart Bar, which is um, East Stand, Level 5, Block 525, playing all the classics and some new songs too. James, last time I tried to come and watch you, I think it was before the Chelsea game uh, was the last time I tried to come and I just literally just couldn't get in. So many people, the the crowd that you pull is absolutely insane. So uh, keep up the great work. Yeah. Thank you so who, who, much, who, who are the new songs about? If you could just tease it, like, uh, do, do, do you have any names? Uh, I've got a Madison one, uh, mm-hmm. new one, and I've got one that's just digging out uh, one of our rivals. This, this seems to be going okay. quite well. Well, quite well. I'm showing it to a few people here, and that. Uh, so there's a there's a couple, but um, there's a few more as well. There's a, there's another there's a different Werner one that I've that I've looked at as well that uh, I played at the last game and and. Um, some of the fans took to it straight away. So there's, there's, there's a few. 
Mm. You must be so chuffed with how big that Ange, the Ange uh, Angels song has got. Like they play it at the end of every single game now. It's mad. Yeah, it's. I'll be honest with you, mate. That's just the pinnacle. That's all you really want to happen. Really, is like the whole stadium Spurs fans singing your song. Once it happens, it's like you just you just chill. I think you just think, ah, oh, that's, that's great. That's, that's something forever <laughs> for me. But um, I, I do. Keep, I always keep going, writing new stuff on that. But like, it, that's all I want it to happen. Really, uh, it, it's it's the uh, pinnacle of one. Of, it's more important to me than Robbie singing it. Is the Spurs fans mm. singing it? I mean, that's yeah. it's. I'm Tottenham, like I say to you, over, over absolutely everything. I'm obsessed with Tottenham. So, I mean, the first time I heard it was when we scored the last-minute winner against Sheffield United, and I was going, I was on my knees already, like just <laughs> so happy. And then I hear the whole stadium singing my lyrics. It's like I, just, I don't think I can ever. I just stood there silent, yeah. and as you can tell from these uh, panel shows, that takes quite a lot. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Mate's just looking at me. I just didn't know what to say, really, to be honest, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, mm. Spurs fans are the best in the world, and they'll tell you when, if a song's good or not. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it's mm. been it's been insane. And the crowds have gone to crazy new levels. Um, it was building from, because I did the Champions League song in 2019, it was building from that nice. Mm. But now it's levels where, yeah, they, they're all, kind of, I can't really see around to the back of it, to be honest, yeah, it's, uh, it's fun. And and I definitely think like your injection of just like new energy when it comes to the, new, the these new songs this season has definitely added an extra element as well in terms of the fan base. So I do want to commend you for all the great work that you do. I hope you carry on. It's it's really added something special for this season because we've needed some more songs basically let's be honest that we've, how, we've how seen the same... i said it to you like, yeah we need to be more original i can't just hit oh when the spurs go yeah. marching in and that's no. it <laughs> yeah so <laughs> like just changing the lyrics and that. exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. so like i really like i thank you so much for the great work you've Best put in, in like writing these songs and getting them to the forefront because it's really added something special to this season and hopefully going you, forward you guys have helped me as well like by putting me out there and everything i really appreciate that you guys are, are everything to me your shows are amazing so and i really appreciate it appreciate the thank support. you so much james thank you so much and thank you for coming on but ash tell the people where they can find you i hear uh you've got under a little bit of a rebrand yeah we've switched it up a little bit we were Southview boys but now we are spurs kings man we're spurs kings right now the spurs uh, kings Spurs Kings right now. Phones out. I need to see some subscriptions right now. Add it up. Is that all channels? What's that on? Is that on YouTube? That's our YouTube channel. Yep, that's my YouTube channel. Is there's three of us that we host it or different times? But it's me, my my boy Marlon, and Hass. We do the shows, post match shows. Um, I did a show last night um, and I just talk about, you know, Spurs a little bit more, talk, talk about rumours and stuff, who we're linked with, blah, blah, blah. Uh, tonight I'm doing a rival show, kind of get other rivals' opinions about Spurs and kind of get feedback. And um, yeah, man, that, that's what's going on at the moment. Like we're, we're going through the rebrand, as I said, so we're going to have a few more different ideas coming out. Um, I might have to remix some of your songs, James. I'm a DJ. Yeah, man, yeah let's do it. I might, have to, I might have to cut up a little bit different, you know, put yeah. a little reverb on your voice and mix it up. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what we're doing. But everyone's welcome to, to jump on the show whenever they want. I'm always looking for guests as well. So, but yeah, man, big up to everyone. Thanks for having Absolutely. me on, uh, Simon Ben. Nice to meet you, James. And, and you big up to that as well. And to the viewers, the silent listeners, I'm one of those. So big you guys at home watching it on TV or on your mobiles. 
All right. Well, nice one. Really good panel. Thank you guys once again for coming. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.